I heard about a couple, they were illiterate, they couldn't either one of them read, husband and wife, didn't know how to read. They got saved. God changed their life. They started getting involved in the church that they were part of, and their church was a little bit like ours when we have like a special event like Vacation Bible School. The men, ladies, we all wear red shirts. We identify the fact that we're part of the church. We're working together. Well, they were doing a project, and the same thing. And so the, the, the husband had gone to help out. The men were doing this project, working together, and all the other men had a red shirt. This gentleman that had just gotten saved that couldn't read, he saw the red shirt and he was upset. He didn't have one. He got home, he told his wife, and his wife says, that's no problem, I'll, I'll make you a red shirt. And so she did. She put together that red shirt, he put it on, went back the next night to go back to work, working with the other Christians. And he got back home and he still was not quite happy. He says, listen now, they had words on their shirt. I don't know what it said, but they had words on their shirt. And the wife didn't think anything of it, even though she couldn't read. She thought, I'm going to take care of that. I'll put some words on there. So she looked across the street from their house. There was a business across the street. She looked in the window, and she just copied three words out of the window. She sewed those onto that shirt. The gentleman was just smiling from ear to ear. He went back to the, 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 working together in that project the next day. And he, he came back that night. He was just overjoyed. And she says, well, what are you overjoyed about? He says, the guys loved it. What do you mean they loved it? They said it just described exactly what happened in your life, what you were before and what you are now. Praise the Lord. What a, they, were just, they were just so much in awe over that shirt. You see, what she had done was she'd looked across the street and saw in the window a sign that said, Under New Management. <laughs> when a person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they're under new management. There's a change that takes place in their life. He makes a difference in our life. When He comes within us, listen, if the Lord Jesus Christ comes within us, it can't help but make a difference in us and through us. And if it's not making a difference, there's something wrong. There's something that's missing. There's, if, there's, if there's been a change within us, it's because the Lord Jesus Christ has made that change and it ought to be evident within our life. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that speaks uh, to this as far as the change in Jeremiah 13, 23, the Bible says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? What's the point? The point is, is that this, that listen, a, a, a man that is a sinner, lost and undone, separated from God, he, he's separated from God by a great and wide chasm. <clears throat> He needs something done in his life that, that could never do himself. He could never change the outside. Listen, a person can't change the color of the skin. A leopard can't change the spots that are on its body. And we, as a person, as an individual, being lost when before you got saved, you could not change that fact. You could not be good enough. You could not try hard. You could not change yourself. You see, what we needed and what a person needs that's in that condition is for Jesus and Jesus to do what He alone could do in your life. It is Jesus who makes the difference in the lives of fallen men. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture. And in this passage, it's all about the great difference that Jesus makes in the hearts of those that come to Him, of those that were fallen and now they're saved. And so this morning, I want us to look together at these verses and consider for a few moments, Christ in me, oh, what a difference. Christ in me. Oh, what a difference. First of all, we see here in verse number 1. Let's read it again. Notice what it says there. Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The first thing we notice here is the pitiful nature of man's sin. The pitiful nature of man's sin. 
You see, here we see a person that says that you hath he quickened who were dead. We've got to start with that. Dead and trespasses and sin. Before you got saved, you were dead and trespasses and sin. And a lost man, he lives a wretched life. Lost men live a wretched life. They're dead. They're separated from God. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. A person that is lost, they're dead in their trespasses and sin. They're living a wretched life. They're separated from God. Their sin is what divides them. And theirs is a wretched condition. They are dead to God and to everything that represents and that, that He represents and that He's able to do. They are dead to that. They are dead spiritually. Lost men. They live a wretched life. Secondly, lost men live a wayward life. They live a wayward life. In Ephesians chapter 2, notice there once again, look at verse number 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. According to these verses, the lost man is not in control of his life. You know, a lot of people today, they think, I want to be in control of my destiny. I want to be in control of my life. I want to control what I'm going to do in my life. The truth is, though, a person that is lost, a person that has not come to Christ, that person is not in control of their own destiny. That person is not in control of their life. Really, they're nothing more than pawns that are being pushed about by the whims of the flesh, pushed about by the whims of this world and by the devil. They're not under their own control. They're being pushed about. In John 8.44, Jesus said this, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Talk about living a wayward life. Here we see that the Jesus Christ himself said that a person that is lost, they are literally a child of the devil. Every lost sinner is a wretched, wayward soul. And the end of their waywardness is death, the Bible says. Their way leads to destruction. In Proverbs 16.25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's exactly the, the position that a person that is lost is headed toward. That's where they're going to end up. The lost man live under the wrath of God as well. They're under the wrath of God. Look at verse number 3 in our text. Notice what he says. He says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The children of wrath. And then over in John chapter 3, there in verse number 36, Jesus there, he says, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, at this very moment, every person outside the shelter of the blood of Jesus is under the wrath of God. At this very moment, every person that is not trusted in Christ as their Savior is under the wrath of God. And do you realize the only thing that keeps you from dropping off into hell is the grace and mercy of Almighty God. 
The only thing that's keeping you from that at this moment. Listen, you are standing at the edge of a great precipice, but nothing is between you and hell except for the grace of God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you would slip off into hell for all eternity under God's wrath. And here's the thing. God doesn't hate you. God loves you so much. That's why God is warning you. That's why God is telling you. That's why His Word is here so we can open it and learn about how God is love and how God loved us so much. Listen, God, He he said that there is a penalty of sin and in His holiness it demands the sentence of sin be carried out. And by the way, it's going to be carried out exactly in His timing, exactly His way. The Word of God warns us of that. What a pitiful situation to be in. What a pitiful situation to be in, to be lost, to be living a wretched life, to be living under the wrath of God. What a horrible situation to be in, and yet our neighbors, friends, family, many of them, acquaintances, people you met this week, that's exactly the condition that they're in right now. They're right there on the very edge of hell. And somebody needs to tell them about the grace of God, the love of God and the mercy of God, and tell them how they can be saved. Perhaps you're here this morning. Maybe you're lost and undone without Jesus. Maybe you're headed to hell. One thing is for absolute certain, every one of us were. Every one of us were. All of us were in the same boat. All of us were in the same condition. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all fall short of God's glory. No matter how good you try to be, you'll always fall short. I remember when I was in that condition. I remember being lost, being afraid that if I died that I'd go to hell. I remember what it was like. That's why I'm so thankful we get to these next two words here in verse number 4. Look at it. Verse 4, but God... But God, that's all that stands between a a sinner and hell is God. These two little words, but God, they may be just the the greatest words of the entire Bible. But God, in them we find our need, we find our blessing, and without end we find the glories beyond description. You see, not only do we see these verses speak of the pitiful nature of man's sin, but also it points out the glorious provision of our Savior. The glorious provision. Let's read the rest of verse number 4. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. He loves me. Would you say that together with me today? He loves me. Let's say it together. He loves me. Does God love you today? Yes, He loves me. Knowing everything about us, everything we've ever done, everything we ever will do, yet He loves us. And we see here that God in His glorious provision, He gives us love. Love. God loves the sinner with an everlasting, undying, never-ending love. A love beyond my comprehension. Great love we see when we look to God. It was His love that caused Him to send His Son, Jesus Christ, 
It was Jesus' love that held him there on that cross as he bore our sin debt there on Calvary. His love, his love for sinners that caused him to willingly drink that bitter cup. The bitter cup of carrying my sin on him. Your sin. Collective sin of all of mankind from the beginning of time to the end of time. All of our sin. He drank of that cup because of His love. Hmm. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. God tells us that He loves us. He loves you. God loves us. He gave us love. Thank God for the awesome love that God has even for sinners. There's not a sinner here today that God doesn't love. God loves you. God loves you so much. God demonstrated that love by giving His Son as a sacrifice for you. Years ago, there was a drunken man in Chicago. He headed toward Lake Michigan. He was tired of living. Been drinking. Been living a terrible life. Living out on the street. Life was horrible. It was cold. Tired of getting drunk. Nothing more than being drunk from the morning to evening, day after day. Finally decided I'm going to end it all. He's headed to Lake Michigan. I'm going to throw myself in and drown myself to death. Well, as he stumbled past the Pacific Garden Mission, someone helped him through the open door. He collapsed in front of the pulpit as the preacher was preaching. There he fell right there. The superintendent later cared for him. He took care of him. Gave him a bed. Gave him something to eat. Gave him the gospel. And he explained how much God loved him. That man was gloriously saved. He trusted in Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He's, he was on his way to heaven. He was so excited about that. What a wonderful thing to know. One day, here he is. He's a drunk. He's going out to take his life. The next day, he's a child of God. He's been born again. Well, Later on, as he grew, he got to the place where he was the one preaching the gospel in that pulpit. He was the one. He was the one taking care as the superintendent of that mission. And it's said that when he died, it took all the day for people to pay their respects. People were coming and going the entire day. It was in the paper. A newspaper editorial described him as one of the most useful men in Chicago. Even a, a newspaper that wasn't a godly publication said that. They saw this man had an impact. One of the great preachers of the day, Mr. G. Campbell Morgan, he then raised this penetrating question when he said this, what made the difference? Just think about it. What made the difference? The world would not have missed the penniless drunk if he jumped into the lake and died. But God saw great value in him. God saw something in him. God had love for him. Jesus died even for that drunk God saw what He could do in Him. Listen, the world may not care for you. They may not care whether you live or die. But God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God wants to come and take residence up in your heart today. God wants to be with you. God gave us His love. Secondly, we see that God gave us life. Look at verse 5. Notice what it says. Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. 
Hey, listen, when we received Jesus, we made, He made us alive spiritually. He made us alive from within. Oh, listen, we died to sin. We died to Satan. We died to self. But we became alive in the Lord when Christ came within us. We were born again. Something changed. When we got saved, His Word, His people, His church, His music became something precious to us. It was something that meant something to us. It was something now that we connected with. Now we were part of. It became precious to us after we got saved. Listen, what a difference Christ makes in us. When Christ comes in, He gives the believer new life. New life. New life. That's what being born again is all about. Being made alive spiritually. You were dead in your trespasses. You were under the condemnation of God, the wrath of God. You were lost on your way to hell. But once you get saved, now, new life. Child of God. Born again. I read a story of a man whose name was printed in the obituary column of a newspaper by mistake. Can you imagine that? Opening up the newspaper, and there you go. You turn to the page of the obituaries. You're reading through, and you see your name. No, he wasn't happy about it. He was a businessman. People knew about his business. His name was very much connected to his business. Can you imagine how that must have made him feel? So he goes to the editor. He's complaining. He's angry. And I can understand why. He's upset. He says, listen, man, you might have ruined my business. People are going to think that, man, I'm not, my business is dead because you say I'm dead. Well, sir, I'm sorry, he said. Oh, that's not good enough. What are you going to do to fix this? Well, sir, um... Finally, he couldn't say anything more, and he finally had the idea. The editor said, well, sir, I'll tell you what we'll do. Tomorrow, we'll put you in the section of new births. (laughs) Now, that doesn't fix it very well, does it? But you know what? That's exactly what happened for us as a child of God. When I got saved, it was new birth. I got a new name. There's a new name written down in glory. It was mine that day I got saved. Praise the Lord for that. Listen, what a wonderful thing when we find life in Christ. The life that Jesus gives is no ordinary life either. It is abundant. It is free. It is everlasting. You hear that? Everlasting. It's never going to end. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, I died too. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. He lives within me. He is alive within me. And listen, those who have their faith in Jesus have passed from death unto life. He gives us life. Not only that, but I like this one. He gives us a lift. Not a facelift either. I'm talking about a lift. Look at verse number 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a lift for you. You know, according to this verse, that we have been seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus? Now, you think about that for a moment. Now, we're the body of Christ, am I right? Who's the head? The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the head of my body is right now in the heavenly places? That's what we're talking about here. He says that he made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, when a sinner comes to Jesus, he is baptized in the body of Christ. At that same instant, Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, enters this new Christian 
In Colossians 1.27 it says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us. And so the saints of God are as good for heaven as though they were already there. Now you think about it. When God's sitting there and He looks to the right of His throne and He sees Jesus Christ there, He sees us there as a saint as well. He sees that we are already there. Jesus Christ is representing us there. And it's as though we are already in the mind of God. It's as though I'm already in heaven. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, you knock on wood to see if something's real. You know what? This isn't even as real as what heaven's going to be because for all eternity I'm going to be in heaven. That's more real than this, this just vapor of time that we're in right now. Just a moment. We're going to be in heaven for all eternity. You see, these verses, they're wonderful verses. They're encouraging verses. And they teach us of the pitiful nature of man's sin, the glorious provision of our Savior. And then thirdly and lastly, I want you to notice with me the precious promises to the saints that we see here. Some precious promises. And the first one that I see, and it goes with what I just said, is a new destination. A new destination. Now we're talking about not just figuratively or positionally being in heaven, but actually being there ourselves. In Ephesians, look at verse number 7, chapter 2, verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now stop. Think about this verse. This verse, I had to think about it. It grabbed me when I got it. Let's look at it again. Notice what it says. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And this verse reminds me that one of these days, this world is not going to be my home any longer. I'm going to be in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about just figuratively the fact that I'm talking about actually able to walk down streets of gold. I'm talking about actually being able to be there in the very presence of Jesus Christ and be able to bow down before Him and to be able to worship Him and taking our crowns and throwing it before Him and worshiping Him as we see the picture there in Revelation chapter 4. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for Revelation chapter 5 when people are crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy. Can you imagine? Knowing that He was the one that was worthy He was the lamb that was slain. And being able to see him there and be able to worship him in person and see all the great multitude of all those who have trusted in him and to be able to see in all the splendor of his glory. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm going to heaven. (laughs) I'm going to heaven, Carolyn, and I can't wait. And I'm going to see Jesus. I can't wait. Heaven's wonderful, bright and fair. Praise the Lord. I'm going there. I'm going to heaven and I can't wait. Man, it's going to be wonderful. Sometimes I tell my wife, you know what? I'm at peace. If God were to take me now, I'm ready to go. She says, you're not ready to go yet because I'm still here. I get that. But you know what? I can't wait for heaven. You know what I mean, Brother Tony? Can you imagine not having to deal with any of the challenges of this life any longer? And, and, you know, when I was young, I used to remember thinking to myself, my kids, they say some of the, they don't say it, but I can tell they think these things. Maybe I'm wrong. When you're young, you're thinking, man, I sure hope the Lord doesn't come back till I get married, <laughs> till I have kids. Now, if it was before the exam, I hope the Lord comes back before the exam. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. 
I remember thinking to myself, man, I hope the Lord doesn't come back to like, experience some of the you know, joys. And God creates us that way, and I know it's that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? I'm at a place in my life where I would love for the Lord to come back any moment. I truly would. And the thing is, He is coming back. It might not be today, but it could be. And you know what? I'm so thankful that I'm ready. I'm so thankful that I know I'm going to heaven. I'm so thankful the precious promise that we see that there's going to be a a new destination. I don't know when he's coming, but I know he is. But you know, there's something interesting about this verse. Let's read it again. I want to point this out to you. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. In the ages to come. How many years are we going to be in heaven? A long time. In the ages to come. We've got a lot to look forward to, folks. In the ages to come. You know, this verse teaches us that it will take God all of eternity to reveal to us the extent of His grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We think that we know a lot about it today. We sing songs like, what a day that'll be. No more sickness, no more death, no more crying over there. What a day that will be. There's a lot of things that we know the Word of God tells us. But you know what? We haven't even scratched the surface to what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be awesome. I know one of the things, like I said earlier in Revelation chapter 4, we're going to be singing praises to Him for a while. It might be for all eternity. We're going to add things to it. I've heard some people say, you mean all we're going to do is sing for all eternity? No, I don't think so. I think we're going to be doing a lot of things. But singing is going to be one of them. I do know that. I see it. It's going to be a new song, too. A song that only saints are going to sing in. I'm looking forward to that. But then God's going to say, okay, let me show you a little bit more here. Let me show you a little bit more of my grace, my kindness. Let me show you a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And beyond our comprehension, we can't even wrap our minds around what God has in store for us. I have not seen. We cannot even understand it. If God were to try to reveal it, we wouldn't understand it. But I love this verse. Huh. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Man, heaven's going to be wonderful. A new destination. Not only do we see that, but in verse number 8, we see a new designation. You know verses 8 and 9, if you want to read it, if you want to quote it, why don't you say it together with me? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. And you know what? I'm so thankful for that. Because it's not up to my good works. It's not up to me being a good person. Now we should be a new person in Christ. There should be things that should change in our life as a child of God. But I can tell you this, since I got saved, I have not been sinless. There's not a person in here that has. We are all sinners that have been saved by God's grace if you trusted in Christ your Savior. I'm thankful that by grace that we're saved. And it's through faith. Through faith that God gives us, that God allows us to have All of it's a gift from God. All parts of salvation is something that God has given to us and enabled us to be able to receive this gift. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, religion, good deeds, church membership, baptism, clean living, family associations will all fail to produce salvation. 
It takes the blood of Jesus Christ applied. Precious blood. Blood that was shed there on Calvary's cross. Blood that he shed for us. That's the only avenue for salvation for us. And you realize that no one will ever get to heaven and be able to brag about how they got there? You think about that. Nobody's going to get to brag about how they got to heaven. We'll all be in the same boat. We'll all point over there to where Jesus Christ is at. And you say right there, He's the reason why I'm here today. He's why I'm here. Because He shed His precious blood for me. And I truly believe the songs that we'll be singing throughout all the ages will be songs of God's grace. Grace. Marvelous grace. God's grace. God giving us what we we don't deserve is mercy. God giving us A gift that He has bought with His precious blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, giving us a home in heaven. God's giving us His grace. Not giving us what we, what we deserve is mercy. Giving us what we don't deserve is God's grace. There was an old man who lived in a broken down shack on a corner lot that was very valuable. He had secured this property before the area grew all up. By the time I'm talking about the area, millionaires are building in the area. This man, had a, he had this shack, but he had this beautiful property. One day there was a man that came up to him and he says, Sir, I'd like to buy your property from you. He says, what's your price? The man thought for just a moment. He thought he'd just throw a number out there. This was a few years ago. He says, oh, $100,000, I'll sell it to you. The man says, okay, I'll buy it. Just property. But before leaving, he handed the owner a check of $10,000 to bind the contract. Well, in the weeks that followed, the old gentleman, he felt guilty about asking so much for such a worthless shack. And so he began to use that money. He painted the place. He fixed the roof. He put down new floorboards. Tried to make the place look as respectable as he possibly could. On the day of closing, the buyer came to complete the transaction. And after the final payment had been made, the old fellow, he turned to the rich man and he said, Man, don't you think you've got a nice little place here now? Hmm. I painted it, patched the roof, put new boards on the floor. Man, you have something you sure could be proud of now, sir. Huh. The new owner responded simply, I can't use it. I'm tearing it down and I'm building a new house. Hmm. You see, God doesn't want you fixing up your old house. You can't. You can't fix it. You can't change what you are, being a sinner just like every one of us. God wants to come and take up residence within you and build a new house. He wants to make you a new creature. He wants to make you a new person. He, he, listen, He wants a complete transformation, a start over. Notice what Paul says. Look what he says there. He says, but now are you saved. Now are you saved? We have a new call sign. 
Now are we saved? A new call sign. What am I talking about? Listen, we used to be called sinner. We used to be called something that was lost. Now we are saint. Now we are found. We used to be called the child of the devil. Now we're a child of God. We used to be at enmity with God, enemies of God. Now we are friends of God. You see, when it comes to Jesus, everything changes. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're changed. We're changed forever. There's a story that was told of two brothers. They were convicted for stealing sheep. They had gotten in trouble several times. The law finally got tired of messing with them. This was years ago. They decided they were going to put a tattoo on their forehead. And they were going to mark it ST, sheep thief. So that everybody would know these men were thieves. Well, the one, he couldn't bear the stigma. He became bitter. He moved away. He ended up growing old and dying. Nobody ever heard from him again. The other brother, he chose a different course. He gave his life to Jesus. He was born again. It drastically changed his life. And he said, I can't run from what I did, so I'll stay here and win back the respect of my neighbors and myself. And as the years passed, he built a very wonderful reputation. A man that loved God and loved people. One day a stranger saw him. Now that he's an old man, the letters were on his forehead. And that stranger asked one of the other townspeople, what does that mean? What's that talking about over there? What's that tattoo on his forehead? The gentleman from the town, he says, man, I, you know what? It's been, it happened a long time ago. I've forgotten the particulars, but I think the letters are the abbreviation for saint. <laughs> you see, that's what Jesus will do in your life. He'll change you from being a lost sinner, on your way to hell, a child of the devil. He'll save you from all of that, from death, from the penalty of sin, which is death, being separated from God eternally in hell. He's already paid your sin debt. He's already shed His precious blood. And He has the ability to take you in His power of Christ in you. He can make you new. He can take that life that was wrecked by sin and turn it around for His glory. You see, He's in the life-altering business. He wants to change your life. Do you know Him today? Have you trusted in Christ as your personal Savior? Are you on your way to heaven? I want to read this next verse. In verse number 10, notice what it says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto, what's the next two words? Good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God knew that day you trusted in Christ your Savior. He knew that you would be born again. He knew. And we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus, a new creation unto good works. When Christ is in us, it changes us. It changes our identity, who we are. It changes our destiny, where we're headed. It changes what we do in our life. We're His workmanship. I praise God for what He's done for us. Would you stand with me with our heads bowed and eyes closed? Lord, thank you so much for loving us with an everlasting love and loving kindness toward us. 
Lord, I thank you so much for your gentleness, your long-suffering. Your mercy. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for showing your love toward us, even when we were sinners. Sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin. Lord, speak to our hearts today. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, you're here this morning. You don't have a peace in your heart of knowing that you're on your way to heaven. Listen, God wants you to have that peace. Was there a time and a place in your life when you were saved? When you were born again, when Christ came in you? He made you alive spiritually? Can you remember that time? Maybe you're here this morning, you don't have that peace. Oh, listen, God wants you to have that peace today. God wants you to know God loves you. God wants you to trust in him today. And I say to you right now, listen, there is not a sinner that God cannot save. There's not a sin that anybody has ever committed that God cannot forgive. The key is that you need to listen as the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart today. Will you trust in him? In just a moment, we're going to have a time we call an invitation. We invite people to come and to pray. And I invite you, if you'd step out and come, our heads will be bowed, eyes will be closed. I invite you to step out and come. If you don't have the peace of knowing today, would you come and let us show you from the Word of God how you can be born again, how you can be saved and on your way to heaven. Christian, you remember the day that you got saved? How God saved you? How he forgave you. How he came inside of you and made you alive spiritually. Changed everything about you. You say, yes, I remember that day. I've been born again. If that's your testimony, would you lift your hand up high? Say, yes, I remember that day. I've been born again. Praise God. Praise the Lord. You may put your hands down. Listen. This morning we've talked about the condition of a lost man. We talked about the place that they're in. We talked about the place that they're headed. They're right on the edge. Between heaven and hell, between earth and hell, between going to heaven and dying and going to hell, it's right between. Listen, if they were to die the way they are right now, lost, they would go to hell. What a pitiful situation. Listen, there are neighbors, there are friends, there are people that you love dearly that are in that position right now. I invite you today, won't you pray for them that they'd be saved? Christian, I invite you today, won't you come and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for it, but God, that's rich in mercy. Would you come and pray this morning? Would you come and thank God for what he's given you? Would you come and thank Him for your salvation? Would you come and ask God to shine in your life that people would be saved from your testimony? Lord, I pray that you'd move in this invitation. Lord, we thank you for loving us. I pray, Lord, for those that are here that don't have the peace of knowing they're on the way to heaven. Lord, I pray that they would come and trust in you today. Lord, speak to our hearts. 
Lord, I pray for Christians, Lord, that we'd have the burden. We'd see the lost as You see them. Lord, that we'd share the Gospel with them. Lord, challenge our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I invite You, would You come? Christian, would You just come and thank God for Your salvation? Would You come and say, Lord, help me to be a witness for You? You're here this morning. You don't have the peace of knowing that you're on your way to heaven. Would you come? Let us show you. God loves you. God wants you to have the peace of knowing that you're on your way to heaven. Won't you come today and trust in Him? Do you know? What if you died this moment? Where would you spend eternity? Won't you come and let us share with you the love of God today, how you can accept His greatest love gift of all?